Well, welcome back to the Thrive Leadership Podcast. I am your host, along with the one and only CJ Alvarado. How you doing, Brad? Good to be here. Well, I'm good. It's uh, you know, it's a lovely day. We're we're recording in the middle of November. Um, I'm not sure about you, but you know, the leaves are changing. And is it, it does Sacramento does it does does it experience all four seasons? No, not really. It's hot or cold. That's okay. about it. We get a little bit of a spring. Uh, well, we get a little bit of a fall, but it's it's yeah, it's it's not much. Well, we're middle of November, and uh, you know, if you're in the South, then college football is going on uh, as we record today. I mean, I'm I'm timestamping this, but the Masters <laughs> is happening. Mm. And the reason I bring up the Masters is because our guest today is a master of communication and a master of uh, leadership. And he also lives in Georgia in Atlanta, which is, you know, the Georgia is the home of the Masters Golf Tournament. So it all connects. It all connects. Clay Scroggins, who is, I knew Clay, CJ, when he was in college. Really? How about that? Yeah. Wow. He was at Georgia Tech. He was, uh, he was in a Bible study with a bunch of, of folks who were also like college students and a good friend of mine was their Bible study leader. And so I remember, I remember Clay, like, you know, coming over to my friend's house and I was there for something. And I met this young cat, you know, 22 year old, uh, going to change the world, very confident young champion for Christ, Clay Scroggins. And, uh, yeah, now, now look years at later or whatever he is in his mid thirties. He's, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's leading, has been leading and as part of the North point church and North point ministries world that Andy Stanley started and lead pastor at Buckhead church, which is their, their in town, you know, the, in, the, the, if you've been to Atlanta, Buckhead is, is one of the, one of the, you know, main sort of parts of the Atlanta sort of in, inside the perimeter and they've got a great church called Buckhead Church that Clay is lead pastor of. And he's been at several, several different of their campuses as lead pastor of each of those locations. So, yeah, I've been to uh, both of those locations. Buckhead you? seems much more like city vibe, a little bit more in no question downtown kind of thing. It's yeah, great. Buck, Buckhead North Point is definitely, you know, Alpharetta being a suburb. Yeah. North, northern part of Atlanta. But yeah, Buckhead is. People who live in Buckhead, I'll just say it this way. If you live in Buckhead, you would not drive out to the Alpharetta area for yep. anything. But if you live in Alpharetta, you would definitely drive into Buckhead. So you, it's sort of that idea that, you know, if you're outside the perimeter and there is a perimeter of Atlanta, and if you live outside of that, then you're, you always come inside the perimeter, but people who live inside the perimeter don't ever go outside the perimeter. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's a very it's a very uh, well known thing. If you live there, for people who don't live in Atlanta, you're like Brad. Enough of enough already about the perimeter. Um, but it's yeah, there is a. That's probably true of a lot of different cities. Yeah, I'm sure. If you if you live in Manhattan, you know you don't drive to Long Island. Sure. But if you live in Long Island, you're always interested in taking a trip into Manhattan. Absolutely, so. lot to do in that city. Yes, there are <laughs> lots of. Clay's an interesting guy because he's, he's a phenomenal pastor and speaker, uh, you know, and he's an author obviously of several books, uh, but he's also, he's also a thinker, you know, he's got thoughts right now that are, I think every pastor and leader regarding the church and like the disruption happening, you know, with COVID and other things, he has great thoughts that I think got, would guide leaders well, especially in a time of such uncertainty and he goes into some of this. So if you if you haven't followed Clay, highly recommend that you check him out, claysgroggins.com, and then really tune into this interview because he does touch on some themes that are that I think are evergreen, things that will always be true and always be really useful. But he's also dives into some things here that I think will really affect the church, you know, today and and going into the next 10, 20, 30 years. So he's he's a real thinker in that sense with a good understanding of like technology and culture and faith and kind of how they all intersect. I've really enjoyed uh hearing Clay talk. Well, let's get to it. Um yeah, this is this is a conversation that happened a few weeks ago. And 
um, you're going to enjoy it. So get your, get your moleskin out, <laughs> buckle your seatbelt. Cause, uh, we're going to, we're going to give you some things to, uh, to talk about with your team. And also hopefully that will be helpful for you. So, uh, here's Clay Scroggins. Hey, Clay, so nice to meet you. Uh, I've heard so much about you in the past. I've uh, seen your books, read some of your stuff, and it's a privilege to finally get to meet you. Thanks, Andy. Um, glad to meet you. Great to get to do this. Uh, thanks for using your big, uh, your large light to shine a little bit on me. I appreciate that. Grateful for the opportunity. Not at all. And the house life with you currently, they're over in Atlanta, you know, just for you as a, you know, a married guy, family life, all of that sort of stuff. How, how's it feeling for you at the moment? Uh, well, today's a great day. My wife is 37 years old. Wow. Today. Congratulations. Celebrating her. We've got five kids. Uh, we've got a sixth grader all the way down to a two-year-old. So the older four are in school, and the school system that we're in, we're in Atlanta, the Atlanta public school system, um, and we're not, we're still meeting virtually. So um, we had four kids scattered around the house today on, on their Zoom call in their class. Um, two of them go to a public charter school where they wear a uniform. Uh. So they all of us are doing these days wearing a uniform from the waist up. You know? Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, I, I went to the office this morning until about, I came home after lunch, but we're, um, our church is still, we're not gathering yet face-to-face. We're still meeting virtually. And then a lot of our groups are meeting face-to-face and starting to have some volunteer gatherings and some night of worship and some outdoor events, things like that. Uh, we have about 75 staff this morning. There were probably 10 of them in the building. So it's still pretty quiet around the office. Um, but overall, I'm doing great, feeling great, really grateful for uh, life today. That's awesome. That's great. Well, in, in a few moments, I want to talk more uh, about the church, but uh, you, you're a pastor, uh, obviously you're a husband and a father, but you're also a great writer. And you've just released a book, which I think is so timely. It's called How to Lead in a World of Distraction. I love this here. Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Because let's be honest, it doesn't matter where you live in the planet. This is not just a message for America. People have so much noise in their lives. Do you want to talk a little bit about the heart of the book? Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you know, I wrote this book in 2019, well, end of 2018, 2019, at least uh, at the end of 2019. And then obviously in March, the whole world changed. So uh, I really found, it's found some new life and it's taken on some new meaning. Uh, there was a story I saw that uh, CNN ran a couple of months ago that was pretty fascinating. After about the first six weeks of the pandemic, there's a city in uh, the Punjab people in northern India that is about 50 miles from the Himalayan mountains. Mm-hmm. But because of all the fog and pollution, they couldn't see. They had never, in 30 years, they hadn't seen the Himalayan mountains. And because of the, the way the world had changed, the way traffic shut down, pollution was lighter, the smog went away, all of a sudden, the, the fog of life and these people could now see the Himalayan mountains. Wow. Which is such a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful story, but it's also a pretty remarkable illustration for what's happened in this season. It, it sounds also like Los Angeles, people could finally see the beach. Is that, is that right? <laughs> yeah, it, it cleared for people. They could see the Hollywood sign once again. It was kind of like that. Anyway, keep going. So the, the, I think what this pandemic has done for a lot of us, what this season has done is, it's turned down the noise for us in a lot of ways. You know, every almost to a person, everyone I've talked to, we've got people in our church, just like people in your church, that this has hit us in so many different ways. We've got people that are, you know, school teachers or FedEx drivers, things like that, where things have been pretty stable for them. We've got some people who, um, this has been a real uh, uh, positive thing for them economically. We've got some people that are super cautious health-wise. And then we've got people that this has been just absolutely tragic for their family. And so we've got people kind of all over the map, but for almost every single person, people have said, you know, the season has turned down the noise for me. It's, it's forced me to slow down, mm. it's gotten quiet, 
And what happens when things get quiet is a lot of times we reach for something else. We find another distraction to keep ourselves from having to face those things that are inside of us. Because the truth is, most of us love our distractions. Most of us are distracted and we're not distracted by chance. We're actually distracted for a reason. Uh, we keep our fingers on the dial of the distractions because the, the danger of life is not so much the distraction, but it's what's on the other side of the distraction. And oftentimes what's on the other side mm. of the distraction are some emotional debris or shrapnel or noise that we don't want to put because it's just too painful or because it, uh, it just would take too much work or because we just would rather not. And the, the secret of leadership, the secret of becoming an even better leader, which I think being a leader is very spiritual work. I think there's uh, such huge implications for every single one of us to become a better leader that when we do, everyone around us gets better. We become better husbands and better wives and we become better fathers and mothers and become better sons and daughters and we become better employees, better bosses at work. And if we can learn to force ourselves through habits to turn down the noise on a regular basis, low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of what's going on inside of us, mm. I think becoming a better leader because it will allow us to become more emotionally aware. It will allow us to deal with those things inside of us that maybe we've been running from or denying or escaping from. And uh, we all know that the healthiest leaders are the ones that are the most emotionally healthy people. So it's, uh, it's been a fantastic message to carry, and it's been a great, uh, a fun message to carry, really. Uh, or maybe it's had new life, I should say, yeah. not new life. So it's had new life in the season. Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange that we've had to live more of our lives inside, but it's like the volume has gone up. You know, there's more distractions even in isolation, social media, the media itself. How has this affected you as a family? And how have you employed some of these habits, you know, for your marriage, for the good of your children? you got five kids. That's a lot of noise right there. You know, how have you sort of um, worked these habits into your own life? Yeah, and I would say the noise right now is... Um, for me, the, the fatigue of the season. Mm. This season has been like running a marathon, but you know, we got to the end of what we thought was the end. And then you know, society was like, "Oh, wait a second, we're not done yet. We got to keep running." And we're kind of running at full speed um, with no end in sight. I mean, every decision that we thought we had already made uh, is basically a new decision now we have to make again in a new way things just take feels like we're working twice as hard to get half as much done our yeah. day some you know every week's a three-day work with yesterday today and tomorrow mm -hmm. it's just remarkable how challenging the season has been for so many different people so you know our church is uh we're a church of small groups uh we, we really are passionate about really encouraging people to live life in the community. So this morning at 6.30 a.m., I was in my men's group. We met over Zoom this morning. We're doing about half Zoom, half face-to-face. -face. And uh, the guys in our group were talking about this this morning, that I just, you know, one of them said, I think my struggle right now is I'm using sports and news as the way to escape all the challenges that I'm doing right now. Um, and as a leader, I feel that way because there are no certain answers. There is not an answer right now that's going to appease everyone. I feel like in every decision that we're making, we're disappointing someone. Mm -hmm. And that's difficult. That gets really exhausting. And I have found myself doing the same thing, escaping, using noise, using distraction to escape having to face the reality of how challenging this season is. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to employ some of these habits myself. And they're really, they're, they're spiritual discipline. I mean, it's the discipline of simplicity, the discipline of, of uh, solitude and silence, the discipline of fasting or Sabbath, and then the discipline of speaking to ourselves, allowing God's voice to be the preeminent voice in our mind and in our soul. Uh, th those are the habits that I encourage people to, to take on in this season. Uh, well, whether they're in this season or not, but particularly uh, there's a lot of meaning for those habits in this season. Great. And speaking of this season, obviously none, um, no one was ready for a global pandemic, but it would appear, Clay, that uh, yourself and your church 
was probably better prepared for this moment than others because for a long time, long before COVID-19, you've been a champion of the digital age and how the church should leverage that for its good and being digital missionaries. Uh, you want to talk about that uh, for a moment, how uh, you know passionate you are about that and how we can use it better? Yeah, we, um, you know, we, like you said, no one can be prepared. So we still, we feel behind. We feel, um, we look at other industries and feel like that they, certainly there are industries and organizations and companies that are way further ahead than we are. Um, but yeah, this is a, this has been a point of emphasis for sure for us for the last, I would say, uh, we've been dabbling in it for the last decade. It's been a significant point of conversation for the last five years. And then it's been, I would say, a real point of emphasis for the last two years. So uh, what started happening is we started seeing what retail stores were seeing, where the steps into their stores were declining. So there were less foot traffic in the stores. And of course, we asked the question, well, why why mm. that happen? People were shopping online, right? People are buying their products online. And so that same thing was happening with us. We started, we, 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 had, we were streaming our services online. We were offering a lot digitally. We were really um, trying, to, trying to move some resources in that way, not near enough, but trying to. And so we started seeing the, the feet in the building decline, but our sales were increasing. And when I say sales, obviously a lot of people cringe in the church world, but what I mean by sales is we, we count for us, our business is helping people take steps. We want to help people grow in the faith. And so any step toward following Jesus more closely, we count as a as a win or as a sale. And so, you know, anytime somebody increases their giving, anytime somebody uh, generosity is one of the most one of the greatest evidence of a of a, a person following yeah. Jesus. Uh, when people take a step toward community for being in intentional relationships where people are pursuing Jesus together. Anytime people take steps toward being on a service team or even sharing uh, sharing a link with someone or inviting someone to attend with them, those are the, the those are big wins for us. And so we started seeing our steps in the store declining, started seeing our sales increasing, and it was baffling because hmm. we're looking around going, wait a second, it feels like there's less people, but there's more action, there's more productivity, more, more wow. positive things are happening. How could this be true? And of course, the answer was the same as what retail stores were discovering, that people were shopping online. People mm-hmm. were, they were consuming our service online, or consuming our gathering online, but they were still gathering in group together. They were getting what they could get digitally and still trying to take steps they couldn't get digitally. They were still taking those steps face-to-face. So... Um, yeah, that's been a, that was a pretty huge, a huge moment, a huge aha moment for us. And so we started looking to some other organizations who are quite a bit further ahead than we are trying to learn from them, trying to understand uh, how do we begin to integrate people's digital experience with their physical experience in a way that it complements each other and doesn't work against each other. Because that's the greatest fear is that, well, people start watching online where they can just quit doing everything you know, I encourage everyone, well, you know, my guess is you probably shop some on Amazon. Does that mean you quit going to stores? You know, you probably have to completely quit yeah. going to store. Um, I, and I think the best kind of life, the kind of life that's in the future, is a life we're all going to integrate together. There's certainly going to be, uh, there's going to be technology, technology that's going to improve our life, but you cannot replace the face-to-face. Uh, that, that verse in 2 John, I think it's 2 John verse 12, he says, I write to you right now with pen and ink, though I long to be with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. Mm. There is completeness that happens when we're face to face. But Han is saying, but we can't be face to face. And so I'm using the technology of the day to get this message to you until we can get face to face. And so that's what we're trying to do is how, how do we leverage all that the Excellent. What what would be some of the practical sort of strategies, tactics, or tools that you have used? Because it's one thing to say, oh, we move more online or we're leveraging online. What have been some of the key wins for you that you would recommend for you know the thousands of viewers that are watching? Yeah. The first thing I would say to do is read a book like uh, I mean, this is not the only book you could talk to this topic, but Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, 
where he really puts out a simple plan. It's a business plan for any organization. Hey, you've got to be able to answer what are we doing, why are we doing it, how are we counting it, and who's responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's forced us to re-answer those questions because we would have, you know, we just would have loads of conversation like, well, what do we want for people? In general, what do we want for people? And once you can answer that question, you start realizing, do we just want people to attend church physically? We're not satisfied with that. We were never okay with that. So that's not just what we want now. Um, do we want people to be connected through relationship? Are we okay if those relationships are never face-to-face? So those are the kind of questions that I think we, um, we've got to start with, those philosophical questions of what are we doing, why are we doing it, how are we going to measure it, and then who's responsible for it, who are we holding accountable for it. So that's probably the best thing that it did, is that has nothing to do with the digital world of this but it made us re-answer those questions because the world has changed. Our world, our, our organization, I should say, our church, for the last 25 years, we're 25 years old this fall, for the last 24 years, we've been calibrated for a world that no longer exists. And so we have to we have to reevaluate what are we doing and why are we doing it and how are we going to measure it and then who, who's going to be responsible for doing it, who are we going to hold accountable for doing it. So, that's been the best thing, having to re-answer those questions. Um, then once you do that, I think trying to figure out how to actually move dollars, move mm-hmm. dollars and people um, to the digital world. Um, the, the guy that's been probably the most influential person for us is a gentleman that goes to our church. He's the former CEO of the Home Depot. So they're you know one of the biggest retailers uh, in the world. And he was the CEO when they really made a significant transition of identifying Amazon and not Lowe's as their chief competitor, which was a huge shift for them. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, once they did that, once they said it out loud, okay, our biggest competitor is Amazon, not Lowe's, then they started shifting resources to the digital space, to Home Depot.com. And I remember showing him, I had breakfast with him one morning, I was pretty proud of some changes that we had made in the language. We had changed the language, meaning we had taken our vision statement that we want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. Mm-hmm. We brought the two words to attend. So it was, we want to be a church that unchurched people love. And I felt so proud. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the breakfast over some pancakes when hey, Frank, look at what we did. We dropped the two words. How are we doing? You know, I was hoping he was going to like give me a pat on the shoulder, a pat on the head, and say, "Way to go, buddy!" You know. But instead, he said, "That's not near enough." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Until you're moving people, and until you're moving dollars to the point where people are wow. getting, you're not doing enough." He said, "Are people howling about how many resources and dollars and people you're moving to the digital space?" And I said, well, of course, no, no one's howling at this point. So well, until that happens, you're not doing enough. So that's been a real writing uh, statement for me, a real guiding challenge is are we, is there somebody waking up? Is there a team waking up every day thinking about the people that only engage with us digitally? Um, because we certainly have a team of people waking up thinking about the people that engage with us physically. So um, that's the, that would be the second thing I'd encourage people to do is mm-hmm. shift yeah. So obviously that has been really heightened in this season. You were doing that before. Uh, how has how has your church pivoted and moved extra dollars and extra people in this particular season? Well, yeah, in a way, everyone's yeah. pivoted. I mean, in a way, everyone's shifted because they're really, we just have such few um, face-to-face environments right now. And so that's why I really say, you know, I, I hesitate to say this has been a blessing because I know for so many people it has been tragic, but um, there is a blessing in this. And the blessing for us has been that the world, the world was already moving this way. And we just experienced five years of change compressed in five months. Mm. And so we were forced to make changes that I was – I was probably too eager to make a year ago, but 
you know, in the last five months, we've been forced to make some of these changes. So it's just reevaluating people's jobs, reevaluating who's responsible for what. So we try to think real simply about a funnel, about, you know, just the way, same way any sales organization thinks is who's thinking about your new leads, the people that are bumping into your social media, bumping into your website, maybe streaming your service for the first time. We have a goal over the next 90 days for our church. We're, we're one of seven Atlanta area churches in our organization. For our particular campus or our local church, we're uh, believing God for 500 new contacts, 500 yep. new people um, that bump into our site, that bump into our social media, that somebody invites, shares a link with, watches the service for the first time, and makes that courageous decision to raise their hand and say, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Someone get an email address, Donald Miller says, it's like somebody giving you $20. Mm-hmm. So someone going to BucketHeadChurch.org slash new and filling out our new here form and raising their hand and letting us know, I'm here. We mail them a t-shirt and we have someone on our concierge team follow up with them and say, hey, how can we help steward the courageous step that you've taken to be known? Mm-hmm. That's what we yeah. So what to help you know to help you do that? It might have been someone who moved here who came from a, you know another part of the country where they were a part of a church already, and they're going, well, I want to be a part of a volunteer team. I'm ready, you know, right now. Or someone might be uh, in a situation where they need financial counseling. They might need uh, to find a group. Um, there's so many different steps, but whatever the right step for them is. It's the step that they decide is the right step for them, and we want to help them with that because we want to help them take a step in following Jesus and engaging in the life and mission of our church. And so that's, um, we call that our attraction team. So we moved about a third of our staff onto that team. We have an engagement team that helps people take that step, any small step, uh, any large step. We started counting those steps and really measuring them and trying to follow the trend of what step are people most likely to take. And then we have our, I mean, our, our main products at our organization, our church, the, the thing that where people see the most fruit in their life, where they grow the most, or when they get into a group, or when they serve on one of our family ministries, or when they get their kids in one of our family ministry environments. And so um, we, the, that's about a third of our staff that are responsible for that, those two groups of people, and their jobs haven't really changed much at all, um, other than doing a lot of meetings. Yeah over video, but um, it's still a real similar type job. So I would say about half of our staff, their jobs have changed pretty radically um, over the last six months. Okay. And in short, is it working? Are you winning with this strategy? Does anyone really know? (laughs) know, That's That's the challenge of this season. Yeah. How do we know if we're winning? And the reason why is because winning is relative. Winning is, did we have a better record than we had last year? And it's apples and oranges. It's so hard to compare yeah. right now to last year because we're in a global pandemic, and that's uh, a pretty significant deal, and it doesn't actually work. So I feel like everyone's kind of shooting in the dark on whether or not we're winning. And I mean, that is honestly, all jokes aside, that is probably the greatest challenge with our staff right now is how do you help people stay motivated in a job when they don't know if they're winning? I mean, that's my own yeah. personal waking up every day going, I think I'm doing the right thing. I think this is what God has for us and what he wants for us, but I don't know if we're winning. And that is incredibly challenging. So we believe that this is the right thing. We believe that this is whatever the world goes back to, you know, I, I assuming we eventually have a vaccine that's widely distributed and we all you know, move back to a life where we're not wearing masks and giving each other hugs again and, you know, having gatherings of over, you know, a couple thousand people, I would call that more normal. Once we get back to that, I still think the world is going to be radically different. Um, and we're, we're making a pretty big bet on that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe people are going to be like, no, we forget all the digital. So we're putting the phone back in the drawer, we're putting the computer back in the sh- on the shelf, and we're going right back to Facebook. I don't believe that's going to happen. I think a lot of this is here to stay. Mm-hmm. So I, I think these moves we're making are strategic, and I think they're important. And I think they're with our eyes on the horizon, but um, we don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've been wondering about Outreach Magazine, you know, that one edition that comes out once a year, you know, fastest growing church, largest church. I wonder what the metric's going to be, the least depressed church in America. You know, it's it's a new new world. Here, tell us a little bit about, um, just give us a quick synopsis of your church, the history of your church. I mean, I'm sure that the majority of our viewers uh, know all of this, but just for anyone out there that's not familiar, because I would love to dive into that a little bit. Well, uh, Andy Stanley is our senior pastor, and Andy's dad is a real famous pastor here in Atlanta. He actually just uh, moved into a role at First Baptist Atlanta as the pastor emeritus after almost Wow. 50 years in the role as senior pastor at First Baptist Atlanta. So um, Andy wrote all about this in a, a book called Deep in the Line, the first couple of chapters. But his parents went through a really difficult divorce that just rocked that church and rocked Andy's family. And uh, through that set of circumstances, Andy and a few other people realized uh, they went to Willow Creek, which was a huge inspiration to them, to them mm-hmm. at the time, and realized we have a church. We've got plenty of churches in Atlanta. We are definitely, I don't think we're the buckle of the Bible belt, but we are certainly on the belt. Mm-hmm. And um, there's plenty of churches, but there's not a church that we would want to invite someone to, not a church person. So that's really where that vision was birthed, being a church that unchurched people love. And so that happened in uh, 1995. We started North Point Community Church, and then soon after we started uh, doing some uh, some video venues in the Atlanta area, Buckhead Church, which is the church where I'm uh, pastor right now, and then a church in the most north suburb of Atlanta. Uh, we call it Brownsbridge Church. And since then, we planted uh, a bunch of other strategic partner churches around uh, the U.S. and then adopted a bunch of strategic partner churches in a few different parts of the world as well. And then uh, we have seven seven campuses or we, we call them churches because we really think about them as local churches we want them to be we want them to feel like a local church in that community so more than you know people have this tension in life right now is would i rather something that feels very local and very me and it's something that i identify with or would i rather be a part of something that's huge it's global it's all over the world uh, it's massive in size and the truth is all of us have a little bit of both in us we all mm-hmm. have we want our local hardware store, but then we also want the big chain hardware store. So um, we're really trying to find that balance. But uh, we've got seven churches in Atlanta and hoping to do a few more over the next couple of years. And um, Andy is 62 years old, I believe. And so he's been our the senior pastor for the last, uh, since our church started in 95. So That's great. So try and describe to us what it's like to work with Andy Stanley. Well, that's the most common question I get, you know, because he's a, <laughs> uh, and a, he's a fantastic communicator. And, uh, he's an excellent boss. I mean, he's, there's a lot of challenging aspects to him, like any highly driven, very motivated. His, his level of excellence is so high. Uh, he holds himself to such a high standard. He's a, he's a one on the Enneagram, so... Uh, that's the, the perfectionist. Mm-hmm. He's in search of he's in he's in search of the greatest sermon ever. Uh, he just has a tenacious desire to become a better communicator. I remember probably five years ago he stood up at one of our it was our kind of our first all staff meeting, probably five or six hundred employees in January, beginning of the year. He said, um, I feel so motivated to not be the lid on this organization because of how stellar you all are. We have one of the greatest staffs on the planet. And because you're so great, I have never come into a year more motivated to work harder, to be more diligent and more faithful, to make sure that I am as good a leader as I can be, as good a communicator as I can be, and to make sure that I'm not the lid on what God might want to do. And so I remember sitting in the seat that day that is like Michael Jordan having won four or five championships mm. in the next season. Just want to let you all know, not only am I the most talented, but I'm also going to work harder than anyone else is going to work this year. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a very inspiring and then yeah. sometimes the person to work with because he is so driven. Um, and he is so driven to make sure that we do everything we can do to not lose a generation. Mm. 
made it seems based on data are walking away from the church and walking away from faith. And that's what really drives him. He just has this, it's crazy to be a pastor, the son of a pastor, uh, and, and a pretty, um, you know, he hasn't really had a significantly rebellious season of life, but to have someone with that background be so motivated to reach people that are far from Jesus, um, it's just, it's awesome. And it's inspiring. And he's a he's a great he's been a, just a fantastic mentor to me. He's very uh, generous. This message that he preaches about what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? You give away your power. Mm-hmm. You loan your power to them. And he certainly loaned his power to me for sure. So I uh, feel really grateful for him and uh, really love working. Super. So on the back of that question, yeah, you wrote a great book with an even better title. It's called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And I think that is such a, a needed message at the moment, this whole balance of influence over authority. Um, do you want to just describe that book to us a little bit and how you've just um, worked that into your life? Yeah, the title is sold a lot better, too. <laughs> <laughs> to one what anything else this other book that I've done but it's um, yeah it's been a gift and it's been a really fun message to carry I um, I had a meeting with him one day where I was uh, he it was actually he was frustrated about some stuff that was happening in our student ministry and I was a campus pastor but my background is in student ministry so he wanted to get my opinion on it because he knew that I was I understood both sides and there's this tension that we feel as I'm sure your organization feels as well anytime you're a multi-site organization you try to scale your organization there becomes this tension between the local campus desiring autonomy and desiring to be fit in the context that they're doing ministry in and the central organization is trying to keep the DNA and trying to keep the core values of the organization. And so uh, that's just a very common discussion for us to have. And I say discussion being uh, vibrant at times with voices raised discussion. So, so he's asking me, what's the deal? And as a campus, I start blaming the central organization. I start saying, well, they're not giving us what we need. Mm-hmm. It's coming late, or it's not very good. And so he looks at me and he goes, so the people in your team are preaching bad sermons because they're not getting an outline on time or they're getting an outline that we don't like? Is that what you're saying? And it was that moment in life where, um, you know, you have you start realizing that you kind of smell, you know, you're like, oh no, do I stink? Is this me? You know, I'm, I'm smelling and I'm realizing it's me. It was this, it was kind of a, an alarming moment where I realized that I was, I was, I had stepped into the role of the victim. I was walking around in the victim mindset going, oh, well, I don't have the authority to fix this problem. Yes, I think this is the problem. And I was blaming someone else in another department saying it's their problem. If only I had the power or the authority to fix it, I would. And that's, for me, that was kind of the moment when it hit me. Oh, wow. I have started to believe the lie that you can only lead if you're in charge. And it's just a myth that the truth is the most, some of the greatest movements in the world have been started by or been followed through by people who were not in charge. They didn't have the title. They didn't have the the authority to do it with mm-hmm. leverage influence. And that's what makes leadership tick. It's essentially what leadership is, is influence. And you can cultivate influence whether you're in charge or not. So that's what I've been. I went on a journey myself to go, all right, well, forget it. What do I need to do to cultivate more influence for myself? If I don't have all the authority, I've got a couple of options. I can sit back and be passive and get real frustrated about the authority I don't have. I can go out on my own and get all, think I have all the authority at that point, but then I don't have the resources that an organization like ours has, or I can go, all right, inside of this organization, how do I learn to develop the kind of influence that I know that I want, the kind of influence that I believe I need to be able to get the things done that I think need to be done. And so that's really what the book is about, is uh, cultivating influence when you lack authority. I think what you're saying there is that attitude then is way more important than authority. You know, that sort of perspective that you take. What would you say to some younger leaders out there that are experiencing some frustration at the moment, uh, thinking they would like to be the kingpin, uh, but uh, that's not happening in their lives? Yeah, I think you got to start by, 
I, I would start by looking inside and just asking yourself what you believe about leadership. You know, if you if you do believe that you got to be in charge in order to lead, then you might need to lead. You might need to go do your own thing. If you are working under a leader that you can't feel like, you just don't feel like you can follow. Maybe it is time. So I, I never want to tell somebody it's not time, especially if they feel like well, this is where God is leading me. But I would just caution and say there's more to be learned. Typically, there's more to be learned when things are hard than when things are mm, easy. Very good. Things are hard than when they're easy. Um, and if you can learn to develop and cultivate influence now and see your end, it will make you a better leader the day you become the authority. Mm-hmm. Because these leaders, the, the leaders that we all love, the leaders that we all want to follow, they don't leverage authority get stuff done anyway. They leverage influence. They leverage relationship. They 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 believe in people. They call people to a higher standard. They they lead with the carrot and not the the whip. And so I I, I would just encourage people uh, not run from hard things. To, you know the weight room is difficult because the weights are heavy. Mm-hmm. But it's heavy because it builds strength. And you're not wasting time just because it's hard. In fact, God might just be using this season to grow you in a way that you wouldn't otherwise grow you. And then secondly, I would just say, hey, if you can learn how to do it now, it will help you for the rest of your life. Learn how to do it from the seat you're in, whether you're an intern, whether you're, you know, a coordinator or a middle-level manager or a group director or, or a youth pastor or a worship pastor, associate pastor, learn how to cultivate influence now and it will only help you when the day comes, when your moment comes. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Great. Here, what, what have you learned this year in regards to your own leadership? Well, what's, I mean, we've never been in a landscape like this before. What have you learned about yourself? I am more dependent on God right now <laughs> than I ever. Um, I feel like that has been the message that I've heard from my father over and over again is just come closer. Um, be with me more, need me more, depend on me more. Um, I, I've got a friend, I, I remember uh, I was speaking at a funeral and this couple at our church knew the kid had died and so I rode with them at the funeral and I was sitting in the back seat and I was a youth pastor still and the couple that was driving, they knew this couple, they knew the kid that had died because their son had, had cancer as well and their sons were friends. And so so I started asking them about what that experience was like. And I'll never forget the mom sitting in the front seat. Their son had had leukemia. He had relapsed. Their son had actually survived. But we were going to the funeral of their son's friend. And I remember the mom tearing up saying, I almost missed that season. Mm. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. What are you talking about? And she said, I just remember my relationship with God was so real. I just talked to him all day long because I had to, because I needed it's it. It's beautiful. Vacuuming the house going, God, you have mm. to come. We, 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 we have to. We, you're the only place we can turn. And that's, for me, that's been the best part of this season. Is it has driven me to pray more. It's driven me to depend on God more and feel more inclined to trust him and need him. And so that's been the message that I've sensed from him is just come closer, come closer to me. Yeah. I know you asked about leadership, but that's the best place for us all to lead. Yeah. Uh, you know, this season has been challenging because you can't lead in this season with only optimism, but you also can't lead in this season with only realism. Mm-hmm. And so trying to find that balance between being realistic about what is going on, but also being optimistic and choosing positivity, which is ultimately, it's the virtue of hope, of believing that there is a day when things can be better, whether in this life or the next. I think that can only happen when we're led by God's spirit. And so I, um, I, think, I think being close to him um, is the best place to lead. So that's been the best leadership thing that's happened to me. It's caused me to be more dependent on my father.
Beautiful, beautiful. I'm really sad to say this, but we got to start drawing this conversation to a close. But hey, one last question. What would you say that you are most excited about right now? You know, you talked about optimism there, and that's one of the greatest gifts a leader can bring to the table. What, what are you most excited about? I guess my, my hope, what would make me most excited is that I feel like we have all been reaching for things in this season, hoping they will meet our needs. Whether it's um, economic stability, um, political unity, uh, racial healing, and we've got a ways to go. We've got a lot of work to do in all of those areas, but ultimately, they're none of them. They're not going to fulfill us. They're not going to meet our needs. And part of being a follower of Jesus is seeking those. When the city thrives, we all mm. thrive. When he thrives, the church thrives. And so our success as a church is dependent on the success of our city. But ultimately, we all know those are not going to meet our needs. The only thing that is going to meet our needs, they're all, you know, what Paul, Paul called them all rubbish. You know, these are yeah. all rubbish compared to the mm-hmm. joy of knowing Christ. And so that's, that's probably what I'm most excited for is continuing to um, continuing to see people come up empty from some of the wells that they've dug, hoping to find water. And that's sad and scary and alarming, but at the same time, there's so much hope in that because it's when we find those wells empty that we start looking other places. And my hope is that the church will continue to be the church, continue to be the light of the world, and continue to deliver the living water to people in a world that is more thirsty than ever. And so I, that's probably what I'm most excited about, what I'm most hopeful about in this, in this upcoming season. Great. Hey, great answer. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, especially on your wife's birthday. And don't forget, Clay, anthropology is a winner every time. You cannot go wrong in anthropology. You can buy anything and it always works. <laughs> hey, take care. And we look forward to seeing you in the flesh someday when this craziness is over. So God bless. Thank you, Clay. Clay Scroggins, thanks again for joining us. That was, uh, that was good stuff. His book, uh, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, CJ. Mm-hmm. One of the best books. I, rec- I recommend that book all the time for for obviously anybody who is in an organization where they're not, you know, at the top. Yeah. And this is for mid managers. It's for interns. It's for, you know, director level. It's for student pastors. Uh, if you're in the middle of an organization and you feel like, I don't, you know, nobody's asking me my opinion. It's such a great book um, to help you lead in that season. So how to lead when you're not in charge. He's also got another book out more recently. Um, and I can't even remember the name of it. How to lead. Uh, he's, he's the how to lead guy. That's yeah, he must, hang on. I got it. How to lead in a world of distraction. Thank you. How to lead in a world of distraction. Yes. It's, it's turn down the noise. That's kind That's of right. the idea behind that book. So, and hopefully he's got another one coming out soon. Let's go, Clay. Crank Let's go, Clay. Out, Come on, we, baby. We need another how to lead book. <laughs> That's what he's become is the how to lead guy. He has. Yes. How to lead, how to lead through a crisis. You know, they've, they've shut down. They've chose, they've been one of the few churches who chose to take a stance early, which is very hard to do, especially when you're not sure what's happening and not opening their churches until the the new year. And they have, they have stuck to that. And man, uh, I think a lot of folks wondered if that was the right call, but as things have developed, some have said, wow, we wish we would have done something like that. But, you know, they, uh, they have constantly been on the forefront of, of making some tough choices, but always consistent in their values and great thinkers. So if he comes out with another book, if he, if he wrote the book, how to lead in a, in a crisis, I'd probably, uh, I'd probably buy it. Yeah. Even if we weren't in one, I'd, I'd still buy it. If I would. We, yeah, that's true. Out of a crisis. Yeah. True. Still buy it. Cause He's clay. Uh, yeah, he's got good. He's got good thoughts, and and one of the best hangs out there. I, Is he? One of the best, you know, just one of those guys. You just, you, it's easy to be around and a lot of fun to be around. Nice. So that's that's the part about clay that you know, if you know clay, you, you he's he's just a he's a he's a he's a fun person to be around. Love and it. He's got a good sense of humor, 
So hit him up, you know, follow him, follow him on social media. He's a good follow. Um, tell him, tell him Lominick sent you. Lominick sent me. me. Well, if you, if you enjoy, you know, this podcast, uh, every week there's a webinar that thrive puts out where guys like clay, Chad Veach, you know, Sam, uh, Joe Saxton, a bunch of folks have jumped on this every single week, leaders and pastors can, you know, jump on this free resource where these guys are talking about what is happening in church and in leadership right now. You know, what I love about what Ray's doing with this is he's getting right into, you know, these uncertain times because that's what's on people's minds. And so if you find, you know, this interview helpful and you want to tune in thriveconference.org is the place you want to go to. Again, they're free every Wednesday. There's a webinar with uh, leadership like Ray and and some guest on there talking about some pretty critical things. And then, of course, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review that, and let us know uh, you're out there listening, eh? That's right. Let us know. Podcast at thrivecommerce.org. And yeah, go to go to the website, stay in touch, stay connected, do all the things you're supposed to do with podcasts. Pass this on to a friend. That, that's That's a really great way to help us is, you know, text that friend and say, hey, here's a link. Go listen to this. This is really good stuff. It's helpful. And we've got lots of interviews. Some, some of you have just jumped on the old ship at the last dock. <laughs> but there's a lot of conversations and really good content of, uh, you know, almost 30 episodes now that are, that are out there and they're evergreen. So go back and listen to some of those past episodes. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure if you listen to some of the first ones, when we were starting out, you'll think, who are these clowns, right? I mean, we, we had a lot of fun in the early days. We I was going to say, I think we, yeah, I think we would think of that about it, ourselves. No question. That's right. No question. Uh, but yeah, check out all the, uh, the archives hmm. of the Thrive Leadership Podcast. There's some good stuff there. And uh, more, more stuff coming to you in the next episode and onward. So with that, I'll just say uh, we're going to sign off. Thanks for listening. And uh, we want you to be a healthy leader in a thriving church. That's our goal. That's our hope. Thanks for being part of this conversation. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.